Amen. Well, thank you, music team, for leading us in song and praise of our King this morning as we gather together to worship Him. Uh, what a joy it is to worship together with you all this morning as we sing uh, and serve and give and now be in God's Word together. Um, this morning we'll be in Micah 7, uh, the final chapter of Micah, uh, but let us pray together as we seek God's will through the proclamation of His Word to us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, God, may we stand in awe of you, God of your holiness, your majesty, and your power as we read from your word this morning. God, your word is truth, and may we see it rightly as that. Lord, grant us a hunger for your truth. Lord, guide us in wisdom and understanding that we would know the meaning of this text and how it points us to Christ. Lord, increase our love for you, and through that, God, our love for one another. Lord, help us to apply this passage to our lives today, that we'd be challenged and changed by your word through the working of your spirit in our hearts, that we'd be obedient followers of Christ. Lord, help me to preach your word with boldness and with gentleness, that you would be center, that you would be glorified as you save and sanctify your people. God, I pray this all in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. So if you turn with me to Micah 7, I'll read that for us this morning. Woe is me, for I have become as when the summer fruit has been gathered, as when the grapes have been gleaned. There's no cluster to eat, no first ripe fig that my soul desires. The godly has perished from the earth, and there's no one upright among mankind. They all lie in wait for blood, and each hunts the other with a net. Their hands are on what is evil, to do it well. The prince and the judge ask for a bribe, and the great man utters the evil desire of his soul. Thus they weave it together. The best of them is like a briar, the most upright of them a thorn hedge. The day of your watchman, of your punishment, has come, and now the confusion is at hand. Put no trust in a neighbor, have no confidence in a friend. Guard the doors of your mouth from her who lies in your arms. For the son treats the father with contempt. The daughter rises up against her mother. The daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own house. But as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Rejoice not over me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him until he pleads my cause and executes judgment for me. He will bring me out to the light and I shall look upon his vindication. Then my enemy will see and shame will cover her who said to me, where is the Lord your God? My eyes will look upon her. Now she will be trampled down like the mire of the streets. A day for the building of your walls. In that day, the boundary shall be far extended. In that day, they will come to you from Assyria and the cities of Egypt, and from Egypt to the river, from sea to sea, and from mountain to mountain. But the earth will be desolate because of its inhabitants, for the fruit of their deeds. Shepherd your people with your staff, the flock of your inheritance, who dwell alone in a forest in the midst of a garden land. Let them graze in Bashan and Gilead as in the days of old. 
As in the days when you came out of the land of Egypt, I will show them marvelous things. The nations shall see and be ashamed of all their might. They shall lay their hands on their mouths. Their ears shall be deaf. They shall lick the dust like a serpent, like the crawling things of the earth. They shall come trembling out of their strongholds. They shall turn in dread to the Lord our God, and they shall be in fear of you. Who is like a God? Who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. The word of the Lord. So Pastor Nate has been bringing us through the book of Micah, and we have now come to the final chapter here in Micah 7. Last week, as we went through chapter 6, Micah has told uh, God's people what following God really looks like, what God expects of them, that above all, God desires their heart. Walking in justice and kindness and obedience and humility. That those who are wicked will be destroyed and desolate. And throughout this book of Micah, we can see this pattern of judgment over God's people for their sins, but then also of hope and restoration. This pattern continues as we get a final picture of the state of God's people right now and are pointed to God's character and promises until his return. As Micah speaks uh, in these first couple of verses, he's speaking as if, he is in, as if he is the land of Israel. And when someone starts with, woe is me, you know what's coming next is not going to be good. <laughs> I don't hear that very often, but if I do, I don't usually expect good news coming after that. He's crying in agony at the desolate and barren land of sinfulness and mistrust in God's people. They're completely violating God's covenant with them. As we see wickedness and evil being plotted and played out, previous sins that we've seen in chapters before in Micah are brought up again here in the first couple verses of Micah 7. And so verses 1 to 6 are a picture of the sinfulness of men who have neglected God and have set themselves all on the throne of their life, doing what is right in their own eyes. And so Micah laments over the barrenness amongst God's people. In verse 1, Micah uses an agrarian image, a farming image, comparing God's people to a field and a vineyard during harvest, yet there is nothing good for him to pick. The godly have truly perished, and there is none who are living for God. We see them plotting evil and hunting one another. A call back to Micah chapter 3, verse 2, where the leaders were related to cannibalistic animals, hunting their own people, tearing them apart and eating their flesh. They see each other as prey, and they're hunting on the weak and innocent like it's a fun game. Uh, Verse 3, we see people devising evil, like we saw in chapter 2, verse 1, where the people devise evil on their beds. It wasn't, you know, a spur-of-the-moment thing. It was something that they plotted, that they thought through. We see the people not just doing evil, but doing it well. They're professional sinners. If they were in the Olympics, they would get a gold medal. They were doing it very well. But sadly, they were using their skills and giftings and creativity given by God to bring Him glory 
instead to perfectly plot evil against one another, their own people. We can see the unjust leaders who take bribes, which we've seen again in chapter 3, verse 11 in Micah. And the so-called best of the best are no better than a garden of thorns and bushes, which cut and tear and rip apart God's people. There's disunity, there's destruction, there's injustice on those who are innocent and weak from those who should be leading the people rightly. And at the end of verse 4 in Micah 7, it shows that the people were confused of their judgment. We saw this same attitude again previously in chapter 2, verse 6, where they say, disgrace will not take us. And in chapter 3, verse 11, that yet they lean on the Lord and say, is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall come upon us. They see nothing wrong with what they're doing. They have no grief and no repentance for the sins that they're committing against their God. These people enjoyed the title of God's people and assumed that judgment would not befall them because of it. That regardless of how they lived out their life, the Lord would be in the midst of them. But how wrong they were. In uh, verse 5 and 6, people aren't even safe in their own homes amongst their own friends and family and neighbors. Husband was against wife, son against father, daughter against mother. The place in which you should feel the most safe and the most secure, the most trust and most protected was a place where there was fighting, there was war, and there was no peace and rest. So we can see by looking at these first couple verses, that there is no trust and no rest and no peace amongst God's people. The most disheartening aspect of this whole situation is is that Micah's not pointing his finger to the other nations. He's pointing to the people who are supposed to be representing God. The people who are to be a light and blessing to the nations. There were no godly followers, none who were upright And at times like this that we're in, I'm sure that we can look around us and sometimes feel the same. We can look at our own world. We can look at other churches that are around us, uh, other people who claim to represent Christ, and possibly even in our own church, and yet their thoughts and actions go opposite of what God calls us to be. They misrepresent Christ. They're not being the image bearers that we were made to be. And we can begin to wonder Where is God in all this? But amidst the despair, the barren and brokenness, the hatred and the evil, amidst the darkness around Micah, he declares in verse 7 that he will instead look towards and wait upon the only one who gives rest and who saves and who brings peace. And that is God. There is no one to turn to for hope and trust and comfort but his God. And so he cries out to God knowing that he will be heard and trusting that in God's time, God will save and restore. It's a question that we then need to ask ourselves. Who are we resting in? When troubles come, when hope seems lost, when darkness seems to be all around us, who or what is it that we are turning to then? Who are we waiting upon? Is it God or is it something else? Are we willing to wait with hope and faith that God will save and redeem his people, even if it's not done in the timing or way that we want it to be? 
Are we willing to wait even when it seems God doesn't hear our cry and that all we have to go on is our faith? We may ask, how long will we have to wait? And my answer is, I don't know. But are we willing to do that still? I admit this is not an easy task. I know at times I, I find it difficult to even just simply wait for my Big Mac meal at McDonald's. Sometimes it does take a long time. You know, you're just getting a Big Mac, but it seems to take forever. Um, and I talk about McDonald's a lot because I'm still young and I can still eat uh, without major health concerns, although I'm definitely starting to understand why my parents didn't want to take me to McDonald's every single day. Um, I'm starting to feel it now when I eat too much of fast food. But did you know that actually at McDonald's you can order uh, your food on a mobile device before you even get to the restaurant so that when you get there you can just park and they'll bring it out to you? There's an app for that. There's an app for that. <laughs> McDonald's has an app to get food. And it just, it, it's always boggled my mind why that was needed because it's called fast food. Like it's, it's, I don't know, sometimes it doesn't go quickly, but to, to think that we can be so impatient in our culture at times that we can't even wait for a simple meal, that we need to order it ahead of time and have people bring it out to us so we can have our McDonald's as quickly as possible. It puts into reality just how impatient we can be. Uh, waiting isn't something that we like to do, and you can see it in the culture as more and more we find ways to not wait. Now, waiting for a McDonald's is definitely not a huge ordeal, although... Some people make it a little bit bigger than it should be. Um, but so often we can, uh, when trouble comes, when things look bad, we can live so much in the moment, in the here and now, and just want what we want immediately. When our enemies and our struggles and our suffering just seems to be looming over us and telling us that God has forgotten us, that God is not there, that God won't save you, how quickly our impatience can feed our lack of hope and faith in who God is and what he's already done, and what he has promised to do. We can look at our situation and want an immediate out. Our view of God can become blurry and unclear. And we can often look to other ways around our situation that God has allowed us to be in for his purpose and for his glory. And so how, can, how does Micah wait? How is he patient? How does he wait for God? If we look at verses 8 and 10, It shows Micah is waiting with humility and repentance. He says, Rejoice not over me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. Notice he doesn't say when that will happen. He just says it will happen. He says, I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him until he pleads my cause and executes judgment for me. He will bring me out to the light and I shall look upon his vindication. We see that Micah was waiting with humility and repentance, that he recognized that he too was guilty of sin. That the Lord's judgment on his people and on him is just. We have sinned against a holy God. We are now under the indignation of the Lord. God is angry with us and justly because we have sinned against him. But note, it is our sin against God that provokes his indignation, his anger, his wrath against us. And we must see it and own it. Whenever we are under his divine rebuke, that we may see God as just. 
as holy, as king of our lives, that we are deserving of his judgment, but that we may study to answer his end in afflicting us by repenting of sin and breaking off from it. We must submit to the will of God in our troubles. When we complain to God of the badness of times, we ought to complain against ourselves for the badness of our own hearts. We must come before God in repentance and confession, recognizing that he is the God of our salvation. And so Micah comes with a heart of repentance, recognizing his own sin and falling short, knowing that God promised from the very beginning with Adam and Eve that one would come to defeat sin and save his people, and we know that to be Jesus Christ. That God sent his son to earth to live the perfect life that we couldn't, and to die on the cross for our sins as a sacrifice that we deserve to pay. And he rose again and lives, offering us new life in him when we repent and believe that he died for our sins. That we are gifted with the Holy Spirit to be with us and to help us mature in Christ and to rightly represent God as he has called us to. We have that hope and God commands us to share that same message of hope with others. And that's why Micah can actively rest and wait on God. Because he sees God as the God of his salvation. He believes and trusts in the promises that a Savior will come, that God will redeem his people, that God will save his people. That although there is darkness around, he can look up at the light of hope and God's promise to restore. And in our times of trouble, we too must turn to God and wait upon him with the hope he gives through forgiveness and restoration in Christ. Not doing nothing, but actively waiting and resting while we continue to grow and serve Christ, representing him here on earth until his return. And so Mike has faith that although things may seem desolate and dark now, he knows that someday God will do all that he has promised in his timing. And so if we continue on in Micah, as we look at verses 11 and on, Micah is looking ahead and resting in the promises of God, having faith that God, that in God's time and in God's way, these promises will come to pass. Micah points to a day when the wicked will finally be humbled and fear the Lord and the righteous will be redeemed and gathered by their shepherd king. And so in verses uh, 11 to 17, Micah gives us a picture from the book of Revelation. Um, Several different chapters, but uh, specifically also in chapter 21, the coming of the new heaven and the new earth and the new Jerusalem. The gathering uh, of the city, that the borders will be extended, that God has built a new city and will gather his people, his inheritance from every tribe and tongue and nation who have put their faith in Christ and waited on the hope of their salvation to finally be redeemed back to their king and their shepherd. It's a picture that relates very closely to what we see even in Micah chapter 4, verses 1 to 4, and Micah uh, Micah chapter 5, verses 4, a gathering of God's people and shepherding them into rest and peace. Uh, In Micah 5, verse 4, it says, And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure for now. He shall be great to the ends of the earth and shall be their peace. 
And we can see that same idea in uh, chapter 7, verse 14, that uh, Christ will come and shepherd his people with his staff, the flock of his inheritance, that he will provide for them, that he will guide them, that he will lead them. This is a promise of God. And you can see this contrast of the state that we saw of God's people at the beginning of chapter 7 uh, to the state of God's people and inheritance and the flock that he has called to himself, that they do have rest, that they do have peace, because they know their Savior, they do have salvation, and they can rest in that. <clears throat> but you can see that there is a fine line, that he shepherds his people and his inheritance. Not everyone will be his flock and will graze in his pastures. And so Micah is calling us to rest on the promises that God has given us. In Micah 7, verse 15, Micah points us to the time of Moses and the deliverance of the Israelites out of Egypt. He says that God would once again assert his authority and judgment by doing amazing acts of power and control over all things as our creator and king. It says, as in the days when you came out of the land of Egypt, I will show them marvelous things. The nations shall see and be ashamed of all their might. They shall lay their hands on their mouths. Their ears shall be deaf. They shall lick the dust like a serpent, like the crawling things of the earth. They shall come trembling out of their strongholds, and they shall turn in dread to the Lord our God, and shall be in fear of you. We see that God will do amazing things and will set his authority over all nations, over all the world. This is the God that we can trust in. This is the God who is in control even when, we things, see, even when things seem like they aren't in control. <clears throat> and he can do these things and will do these things because he has done them before. And that is what Micah is calling his people to, what he is uh, praying of God to do, to show his people who he is. And just like with the Egyptians, all nations will see the marvelous acts of God and be put in their place, pride broken to the point of licking the dust like a serpent. To be prostrate before God, to be on their bellies, worshiping and praising God in fear of Him. Both the righteous and the wicked will fear the Lord, but the outcome of both is very different. We see the righteous being led by God, their shepherd, and we see the wicked being humbled, their pride broken, and separated from the Lord, their God. And so we can look back to help us as we look forward to the day of Christ's return, to empower us to fight the good fight, to share the hope that we have in Christ with others and tell them that they too can know their good shepherd. Micah calls us to question our own hearts to the promises of God, we must depend upon God to work deliverance for us. In our greatest distresses, in our struggles, we shall see no reason to despair of salvation if by faith we eye God as the God of our salvation, who is able to save the weakest upon their humble petition and willing to save the worst upon their true repentance. And if we depend on God as the God of our salvation, we must wait for him and for his salvation in his own way and in his own time. We can wait because we know what God has promised, that one day all will know God's name. Bowing down in worship and reverence of the shepherd king, 
We can trust this promise to come true because we can trust in God's character. And so as we look in the last verses of Micah, Micah concludes with a rhetorical question that actually plays on the meaning of his name. Who is a God like you? Micah points God's people to God's faithful character to fulfill the promise he gave to their forefathers, to Abraham and to Jacob. It is a deep and powerful point to the gospel and a reminder for us that there is none like our God. It's a picture of a God who made amends uh, for our wrongful doing, our sin, who atoned for our sins, a God who made a way to fix our broken relationship and amend uh, the broken relationship between creator and creation, between shepherd and flock. A God that looks past the sin of those who put their faith and repentance in Christ. A God who is slow to anger and does not hold on to it forever, but pours out his love and compassion on us. Who casts our sins into the depths of the sea. This is the God that we serve. This is the God that we worship and that we praise. This is the character of the God who first loved us and made a way for us to know and love him. It's pointing us to the gospel. It's pointing us to Christ, our one and only salvation. That a God who is holy and deserving of all glory and worship, who went to such lengths to save us, who completely turned from him and lost in our sin, he would call us back to him. By stepping down from glory, stepping down from his throne and coming to earth to live a perfect life and die in our place for our sins. Offering us forgiveness and mercy through the repentance and belief that he truly died and rose again to give us new life, now and forever. Micah points us to a God who judges sin but is patient and quick to forgive. A God whose anger over sin Uh, who angers over sin, but who delights in unwavering love. Is this the God that you know? Is this the God that you worship? Do we as a church truly trust in the character of God that we see countless times shown through his word and deed, how he's revealed himself by his word? I pray that that is. Because I want us to know that as we look in chapter 7, What we can take away from this is that we can rest in the character of God. We can rest in the promises of God, knowing that he is the faithful God of our salvation. God has set his people apart to be a true representative of his character and promises. Are we as a church reflecting God well as we await his return? Or in our impatience, are we instead looking to other means to provide the results that we're looking for? Are we humbling ourselves and submitting to God and walking in repentance, knowing that we are deserving of his judgment? But are we thankful that he sent Christ to make a way for us to know him? Do we view God for the character he reveals to us by his word? Do we truly trust that he loves us? Do we truly trust that he will pardon our iniquity? that he won't retain his anger forever, that he does delight in steadfast love? Or do we often question his character in times of trouble when things seem hard, when God seems absent, 
do we then start to believe those truths? See, Micah rested in the acts and promises of God from the past and anticipated Christ the Messiah, looking forward to the redemption of God's inheritance. So we too must look back on the work of God with his people as we see throughout all of Scripture, him redeeming his people to himself. And what joy we have that we know that Christ did come, that Christ died on the cross for us, that he died to pay the price for our sins. And that we can rest in that. We can have peace in that. Amongst the darkness around us, we have that light that we can look up to. We've seen the working of God building his new city, building his kingdom as he redeems people to him. But we do know at this time that sin and death still has power. But in the midst of that, we can look back to the first coming of Christ and await his return as we continue to show others where our God is, that he died for our sins, but he rose again, that he is alive and he's exalted to the highest place and that one day every knee will bow down and worship him and call him Lord. And so as a church, we must pray that in awe of who God is, his character and his promises, and in his salvation, that we would walk humbly with God, allowing our shepherd to guide us as we wait and rest for the day of the return of the king who will put an end to all the sin and suffering. That like in Psalm 27, it says at the very end, that we'd wait on the Lord, that our hearts would take courage, and that we would wait on the Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for your word and how you reveal yourself to us. God, and how you've revealed yourself to us in Micah 7. God, that we can see the state of your people that Micah lamented of, the despair, the desolation of your people who were not representing you rightly, God. But God, I pray that his prayer to rest in you, that his choice to rest in you would be our choice as a church as well as we come before you, resting in the salvation that you offer us through Christ, God. We thank you for the gospel. May our hearts just be in awe of who you are. May our hearts rest in your character and your promises that you have revealed to us by your word. God, that we would look forward to the day of Christ's return as king and as shepherd to bring back his inheritance, bring back his flock and shepherd them and guide them for all eternity in peace, in rest, and in worship of God. God, help our hearts not to be troubled in those times of despair and those times of struggle. God, but may we look to you as our light, as our hope. And as a church, God, may we see our call to rightly represent you. May we see our call to serve you, to uh, represent your love, to represent your forgiveness. God, and to point others to the hope that we have in Christ, of what you have saved us from, God, that we are justly uh, sinful, God, that we have sinned against you, and God, you are right to be angry at our sin and be angry at us for that. But God, we thank you for the hope that we have in Christ. And so I pray that we would do that as a church as we continue in worship, continuing in praising and singing uh, your name and who you are, God. And God, I pray that as a church we would come together in unity to be a light to those around us, that we could truly show who you are through how we treat one another and how we treat those around us, God. 
I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.